Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Psalm 66, just like Psalm 65, um, the song we're going to study here tonight is a song that's full of praise. Don't really have that fear, facts, faith pattern. It's good to have another break uh, from that. Another Thanksgiving song that's likely inspired after some great deliverance that, um, that God did for his people. We don't have uh, a lot of details in that superscript, and there's not anything specific in it um, to help us point back to something in David's life or something like that. In fact, um, we don't even know for sure that it's, it was written by David. That's not in the superscript. We know it was written by God, and it's in the middle of a bunch of songs. Who the human author was David, so we're going to assume uh, it was him. There's no reason not to. If you look at the superscript, it says, to the chief musician. So we know that this is something that was designed uh, to be sung in corporate worship like we just did. And then uh, it says a song or a psalm. It said that in Psalm 65 too. That means it could be read or it could be sung. And we don't know the tune, so we're going to read it. We're going to study it uh, together here, uh, and then we'll pray. Let's read Psalm 66, verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say unto God, how terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing to thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. And there did we rejoice in him. He ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious Exalt themselves. Selah. O bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life, and he suffereth not our feet to be moved. For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us, as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us into a wealthy place. I will go into the house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows, which my lips have uttered, my mouth have spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer to thee burnt sacrifices of fatlings with the incense of rams. I will offer bullocks with goats. Selah. Come and hear, all ye that fear the Lord, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me. He's attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Let's pray, Lord, as we go into your word right now to study uh, it verse by verse, uh, I pray your Holy Spirit would awaken in our hearts um, just a, a sense of how amazing you are. As we look toward that day when uh, what the first few verses here describe, all lands, all people worshiping you, 
Lord, I pray that would motivate us even now to get that started in our own lives. You're worthy of it. Help us to see that so that we can wake up tomorrow and the next day and the next day uh, singing praise to you, living in praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. First seven verses really are descriptive of, of worship in the future. Uh, there's a lot of shales and wills and things like that. In verse 1, we see the beginning of the universality of what worship will be like after Christ returns. In verse 1, God gives us a command through David to make a joyful noise to God. And I'm glad the description there is that general uh, joyful noise because I'm not blessed with a musical ability to do much else beyond that. It commands for all. Everybody should be doing this. Destruction is for all ye lands to make a joyful noise. That's the Hebrew word haretz, and it means all countries, all nations, all people groups. Now, right now, do all lands do this? Do all lands worship God? All peoples worship God? No, not, not yet. That's the key, not yet. In this opening section here of Psalm 66, we get a glimpse of what worship is going to be like after Christ returns in the future. This will be a reality. All lands will worship him. All peoples will worship him. And it should be taking place right now. We don't need to wait for that among his redeemed, among saved people. It's literally our purpose. As a church, Dublin First Baptist Church and every single uh, saved believer who composes it uh, together, like we're doing tonight, and, and by ourselves and during the rest of the week, we are instructed to praise God. It's, it's literally our purpose. God says so. Um, our, our, our purpose statement as a church written out says that. What is our purpose? It's to glorify God by enjoying him forever. We take that from Psalm 1611. It's not something that Tommy and Daniel and myself came up with. We're, we're supposed to uh, see the, the path of life that God has shown us, that in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forever, and we're going to live to glorify him by enjoying him in relationship together. That is our purpose, to glorify God. And, and because what's described right here, all ye lands worshiping God, because that's not yet happening, it's not yet a reality, uh, a joyful praise isn't erupting all over this world just yet, because that's the case we, we have a mission. We have a mission statement here at Dublin First Baptist. And that's to make the name of Jesus treasured right here in our community in Bladen County, in our nation, uh, all around the world. Another way of saying that that is a little shorter is here, there, and everywhere. That's why we are on mission. Because while we might be dedicated and our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, that doesn't happen everywhere. So we're on mission to, to try to see that accomplish. Our aim as a church and everything that we do uh, in, in being involved in the Great Commission is to share the gospel with others so they can trust Jesus as their Savior and they begin to live in the purpose that we've been called to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And it's our vision. We've got a vision statement too in our written documents. And, and that is what we want to see our vision is a community of devoted followers of Jesus Christ who do glorify him and enjoy a relationship with him by, by taking up their cross and denying self and, and walking with him and following him. That's what we desire to be. That's what we desire to see. And that's why you and I live daily in that purpose. That's why we work tirelessly uh, in our mission to make the name of Jesus treasured here, there, and everywhere. And our vision is the same vision right here in verse 1, to make a joyful noise, all ye lands. That's what we want to see in our mission involvement. 
We want, we want to see that end where everyone all over the world is bringing praise to God because they've trusted Christ as Savior. Verse 2 commands us to praise by singing. Well, we do that here. We just did it. Um, we're going to do it later on tonight as well at the end of our study here. We're, we are to make his, uh, his being praised glorious. What does that mean? How do you make his praise glorious? Well, that means making it our favorite thing to do. There's nothing that we'd rather do than praise God. Not just in singing. So many times we restrict it. Uh, when we say praise and worship, that's what we're talking about, the musical part of our worship. And who, who should our songs be directed to? Well, in verse 2, it says, sing forth the honor of his name. But then in verse 3, say unto God. It should be directed to God. And what does God want to be the subject matter or the content of our singing and of every other form of worship, including uh, studying his word together? What should be the content? What does he want to hear in our songs of praise and our testimonies of praise? How terrible art thou in thy work. So that's King James, right? It means awesome. And we're not to go around telling people how terrible God is. It's, it means that he's awesome. I mean, we are full of wonder. He is wonderful. I'm filled with wonder at who you are, God. I'm in awe of you because of your works. And then it says in verse 3, through the greatness of your power, God, you're powerful. I'm supposed to declare that in praise to you. You're so powerful that you, you cause all of your enemies to submit. Once again, is that the current state of things right now in 2020? Do all of God's enemies submit to him? Not just yet. I mean, yes, he's sovereign um, still, even right now. But there's going to come a day when every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. There'll be an uncontested reign when Christ returns. Uh, no more rebellion. No, no more sin. Um, just people worshiping him. All ye lands worshiping him. It should be occurring. Definitely should be true among his people. That's what we work toward in our mission. But it's not a reality yet at this point in time. But it will be. It will be. When Christ returns with great power, just like we're declaring and praise to him here, and he has that uncontested eternal reign, no more rebellion, no more sin, uh, nothing but him and him worshiped universally. It won't be just in the church. It'll be all over Bladen County. It'll be all over the world. It's a universal worship in the future. That's what verse 4 continues to describe. All the earth shall worship thee, and they'll sing to thee. They're going to sing to thy name, Selah. And so Selah, our, our best guess at what that is, is a musical pause that, so that we don't move on to the next verse just yet. We think about what we've just sung. Let's do that. You looking forward to that day? You don't have to deal with any more rebellion. Sin is gone. Just people worshiping God, that's worship in the future. I love worship right now. I can't imagine how good it's going to be then when everybody's joining together, when uh, I can make more than a joyful noise because I'll have a glorified voice. It's eternality. It's not just universal. That's the second aspect in verses 5 through 7. Worship in the future is going to go on forever. Not only will it be universal in all ye lands, it's going to be eternal, going on forever. God commands us, verse 5, come, come and see the works of God. He is terrible or awesome, full of wonder, and is doing toward the children of men. And so this isn't just for believers. It's telling unbelievers to come and look at the works of God. They're presented to them. They're available for all to see. 
his creation and nature and what he does. And he gives us a specific instance here, God does in verse 6. We're told to ponder what for all practical purposes was the birth of God's people. Verse 6, he turned the sea into dry land. What's he talking about there? When Moses led him out of Egypt, when God redeemed his people, from generations of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And, and, and it didn't look good. The Egyptian army was coming. And then God parted the waters of that sea. And they walked across on dry land. And God saved them. God delivered them. That's what he's talking about. It was really their birth of a nation. Uh, their very beginning of, of God's people and their relationship him, with him. Uh, uh, when God, with, with unimaginable power, brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. So many of their annual feasts are, are tied to this. If they're not outright about it, at least one little aspect and, and all the things that they did pointed back to this event because it was so essential in, in their lives. In the second part of verse 6, it, it describes them going through the flood. Uh, Hebrew, the, the word flood is actually river. It's probably a reference to when God did it again. Didn't he do it again? A generation later, uh, Mom and dad had seen that. They had went through the Red Sea. And they got to Canaan and mm, there's giants. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They didn't get to go in. But their kids were there and their kids needed to see God work again. And so God showed them again. And he parted the Jordan River and they walked through on dry ground once again. You know, both of these Old Testament events uh, for God's people then, they're powerful and symbolic types of what I pray has been a reality in your life. A reality that's of, of equal miraculous magnitude. That's when he brought you from spiritual death to spiritual life. When you were a, a sinner on your way to hell. And the Holy Spirit said, come and you came. And you were born again. Uh, literally, uh, that deliverance, your new birth, your deliverance from the bondage of sin and death and you're given new eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, no less of a miracle than the Red Sea or the Jordan River. You remember that day when you yielded to the Holy Spirit in the gospel of Jesus Christ? You were brought from spiritual death to eternal life when God parted the waters of sin and this world, and you walked across the dry ground that was made as a bridge with the cross of Jesus Christ, reconnecting you with God. Why is this given as a prompt to praise? The, the Red Sea, the Jordan River, you're being saved. Well, honestly, because nothing. Uh, there's a lot of good reasons to praise God. We're given quite a few here. But there is nothing that is so profound as an evidence as that. It, it shows God's passion for his people in the Old Testament and in your life when he saved you. It shows God's power to save you. It shows his presence with you. And you have that forever. Our salvation and deliverance uh, should be cause for universal and eternal praise in our lives. I can't wait for the day that verse 7 describes. It says, he rules by his power forever, forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. There's going to be eternal worship. Yes, it'll be universal everywhere. Everybody's going to be participating. All ye lands worship. But it's also going to be worship that goes on forever. Because it's a rain. That's going to go on forever. No more rebellious exalting themselves. Just all ye lands and all ye lands eternally exalting him. No more sin, no more death, no more pain, no more sour. Just, just Jesus. And just worshiping Jesus forever. 
Now, in the rest of the song, we see a description of worship in the faithful. So David brings us from that then and there glimpse of what worship will be like in the future to, to a here and now worship among the faithful. And he begins with a public testimony, and then he goes to a private uh, testimony in his own life. But first, verses 8 to 12, in these verses, I want you to notice the, the pronouns. There's a lot of we and us and, and our, and I'll probably emphasize them as I read. And then later, uh, when he changes to a singular pronoun, I, in his private testimony. But, but in verse 8, uh, the command is now given to his people. He says, bless God or praise God. Not just all ye lands, now it's specific to his people. Oh, bless our God, ye people. God's people, make the voice of his praise to be heard. In the King James, if you see a ye, that's plural. Uh, if you see a thee, that's singular. It's God talking to one person or an individual. You see a ye, it means a y'all. It's kind of like what I said Sunday night. And so he's saying, all you people, ye people, all of y'all who have been saved, that you have a relationship with God, make the voice of his praise to be heard. And so we're not talking anymore as a command for everyone to praise. That's going to happen, but he's talking about right now. What should be happening? We're to bless him. What does it mean to bless God? This means to praise him. And we're instructed to do so in this verse with a voice that can be heard. And then he gives us some reasons why in the rest. Verse 9, why should we praise God? He holds our soul in life. What do you mean by that? You've been born. You're alive. That breath you just took a a few seconds ago, that was worthy. he's worthy of praise because of that. The one you're going to take, it's a good reason to praise him. I'd like to continue to take him. Your heartbeat, he holds your soul in life. You're continuing to exist is because of him. He's worthy of praise. What about the second part of verse 9? He suffers not our feet to be moved. He deserves our worship because he keeps our feet from slipping. Because you're saved, uh, you will make your way on his way until the end of the way. You will, Christian. He holds you. He preserves you. You're going to endure. As Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you, what's going to happen? It's going to, he's going to keep you. It's going to, you're going to go on. He will see it through. It's guaranteed. He will not allow your feet to slip. It's what God tells us through David in Psalm 37, 23 and 24, the steps of a good man. They're ordered by the Lord, and, and God delights in his way. He might fall from time to time. He probably will. I do. But he won't completely fall. He won't be utterly cast down. Why? Because the Lord upholds him with his hand. <laughs> his hand. When I hear that verse, I can't help but go to Jesus' teaching in John. When he says, all that the Father gives me, all, all who come to me to be saved, where are we? In his hand. No man can take him out, including you. No man can take him out. You're in his hand. He won't let your feet slip. It's guaranteed. Isn't that beautiful? What a promise. I, I fall from time to time, but I know it won't be permanent. The, the same hand that, that parted the waters of the Red Sea and the, the Jordan River, the same hand that brought me to Christ, it's the hand that's going to keep me in Christ until that day. He holds me fast. I'm glad because my grip's not very strong. What about his? How's his grip? powerful. It's omnipotent. <laughs> Whew, I'm, glad, I'm glad that's the case. He holds me that I shall not fall as we sing here. Verses 10 to 12. This is a difficult one. Because verses 10 to 12 describe the Christian life here and now, and it can be tough sometimes. 
And this is included in a section that are giving us reasons to praise God. Reasons that worship should go on among the faithful. We, we, that's the same pronouns here, not just a few people. We, believers, Christians, you're going to experience trials and tribulations, but it's a source of great encouragement for me to know who governs them. All of them. What does it say here in verse 10? I'm going to emphasize some words. For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou latest affliction on our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads, God. You did. We went through the fire and through water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. So I want you to know something, and it's important. It's powerfully encouraging when you're going through painful circumstances like it's described here. What do each of these verses say in 10 to 12? Who, who proved us? Who tried us? Who brought us into the net? Who laid affliction on us? Who caused men to ride over our heads? Who caused us to go through fire? Who caused us to go through water? Who? What does it say? Thou. Who's thou? It's God. It's God. Now, whether these experiences were directly sent from him or they were sent via proxy at Satan's request, like in the example of Job, can you connect that book right before this book in the Bible? Job went through some things, didn't he? And who, who went to attack Job? Satan. But who had his thumb on what could Satan could do to Job? God. God. And the bottom line is that, whatever the case, whether God sends them directly or he allows Satan to buffet us in his own purpose, who is governing them? Who's governing everything we're going to experience? God. God is. And that's what David's telling us here in these verses. God's not going to let you experience anything outside of his good and gracious control. I really believe that's why there's that many vows there. He could have just said, God, you do all of this and started listening. But before every single example, he says, you did it, God. You did this. Encouragement is that we're not going to experience a single example of suffering that doesn't fall within this declared truth about God's sovereignty. That's why he gave us so many categories. What about mine? I mean, yeah, that says that there. But what about what I'm going through? Who's in control of it? God. What about what you might go through? What about what somebody you love is going through? Who's in control of it? Who's governing that situation? You know, back in verse 10, uh, with the metaphor of, of refining being given, we know that, that any of these painful circumstances that are listed in verse 10 to 12, they're not haphazard. They're not purposeless. Do they have a purpose and a reason? What do you say in verse 10? You, you've proved us. You're, you're trying to refine us, purify us, like, like silver is purified. Every single trial that we experience every difficulty. There's a reason behind it. It's not fatalistic. It's not purposeless. It's not haphazard. So there's great encouragement there. We, what do you want to know more than anything else when you're going through a time like this? Why? <laughs> right? There's nothing wrong with that. And, and God knows you want to know why. So he tells you why in his word. He gives you what we call... Uh, macro reasons, all right? The big picture reason for why you're going through this. Now, we want to know the details, and you might get to know those. You might get to know next week. 
you might get to know in a decade. You might get to know when you get to heaven. Specific reasons. But here's, here's the macro reason. Here's the big picture reason for why any of us, in any trial that we experience, why God is allowing it in our lives. Why it's thou and thou and thou and thou. Every single time, it applies to everything you're going to go through. It's to make you less satisfied with sin and self in this world. To make you more satisfied with God and his word and his will for your life. And that world to come that we talked about in verses 1 through 7. That's why. And so because we know this, because God gave us this reason in his word, we can join Job. Let's use him as an example. We can join Job in faithful worship, even, even in the midst of our own suffering. We can say like Job does in Job 1.21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'm going to return. The Lord gave, and the Lord's taken away. What's the next phrase? Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's what Job says. We can join what Job says in Job 2.10. What? Should I accept good from God and not trouble? We can join David in Psalm 84.11 and worship God right in the middle of our pain and saying, the Lord God is a sun and shield. He'll give grace. He'll give glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And if that's true, and it is, because it's in God's word, what does that mean about what I'm going through? No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. What does it mean about what I'm going through? It means it's a good thing. <laughs> You're like, how? I know, I've been there. God, it don't feel good. How in the world could this be good? But it's a good thing. It has purpose. Is to refine us. Do you know why it's a good thing? Because like Romans 8.28 says, it's all things work together for good thing. That's why it's a good thing. What's the good thing? Verse 29, Romans 8.29, right after that. To be conformed to the image of his son. Is that a good thing? Is there any better thing? No. That's a good purpose, a good reason. And that's why God has David give us his public testimony. We've spent 66 now uh, about almost all of them written by David as a human author. Has David gone through some things? Does David have a little bit of street cred in telling us that this is how we should respond? Yeah, he, he does. And, and we're, all, we're, we're all going to be tried and refined. We're all going to find ourselves in a net. We're all going to have uh, affliction laid on our loins. We're all going to have times when people ride over our heads. There's going to be times in every one of our lives when we go through fire and we go through water. Well, you go through, right? I'm glad he just doesn't say I'm in fire or I'm in water. <laughs> That's what he says. We went through fire and through water and thou brought us out, out into a, a wealthy place. That's the pronouns that we have here. You, you've done it to us and us and our, thou. I was focusing on the thou, but look at This is going to happen to every believer if we don't go through things like this, if we never experience them, that should be a cause of concern because Jesus promised as much for those who are his. That the presence of suffering in our lives should be much less of a concern for us than its absence from the lives of a Christian. 
David closes his song now in, in verses 13 to 20 with a personal testimony. The rest of the chapter, there's a pronoun change. It's no longer we and us and our. It's I and my. In response to 12 verses now of commands for us to worship God and reasons for us to worship God, David leads the way here. What does he say in verse 13? I, I will go into your house with burnt offerings. And I'm going to pay my vows. When I was in a bad place, I promised I was going to worship you when you deliver me. And I'm going to do it, God. David leads the way. But if we look at, uh, let's read 14 and 15. Which, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices of fatlings with the incense of rams. I will offer bullocks with goats. Selah. Well, David might be leading the way, but the sheer amount of sacrifices right there in verse 15, uh, knowing what we know about what was required for, for a thanksgiving, free will offering when God, there's people following David's example here. They're saying, yeah, David, God's been good. I'll join you. I'm going to join you in praising God and, and offering sacrifices too. I hope that's us tonight. I hope that what we've already read so far is getting us to join and follow David's example here going, God, you're worthy. I, I've been going through some stuff, God. Thou hast done it. I know you're governing it. I know you're going to bring me through. That's your promise to me. It still stands. You're faithful. Then he invites us in verse 16. Come in here, all ye that fear God. I will declare what he has done for my soul. Come in here, all ye that fear God. Is that you? Uh, We were invited back in verse 5 to come and see what God had done. Uh, Deliverance from bondage through the sea, through the river, for you and I, out of sin and death to eternal life. But now God wants us to come and listen, to come and hear. And David erupts in a time of personal testimony about what God has done for him. David's like, this is what salvation means to me. He says, hear what God has done for me in verse 16. I cried with my mouth. He was extolled with my tongue. I praised him with my mouth. Come and hear about a God who hears our prayers and he hears our praises. There's a reason for praise. We have a God who's 24-7 available to us. That we can cry out to him. Then in verse 18, David offers up an important truth for us. If I regard iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Regard means to see. And that's the literal short translation. But it means to see with enjoyment. So if I see sin in my life and I don't hate it, but I love it, and I'm not confessing it, and I'm not giving it up. God won't hear me. That's what it means, to see with enjoyment. It's the same Hebrew word that's used way back in Genesis 1. God created everything. Everything, everything gets to the seventh day, and he rests. And it says, and God saw, God regarded, same word. He saw with enjoyment what he created. It was good, and he enjoyed it. It's also the same word that's used in Genesis 3, regard, when... Um, Satan came to Eve, and right before she took that fruit, she gazed at that tree. And so she saw, she regarded, she saw it with enjoyment. It's good. Looks like it tastes good. And the serpent said, it made me as wise as God. Same thing. I think a better translation might be savor. If I savor sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Eve savored sin. And you and I, we should never see sin this way. That's the problem in verse 18 that, that prevents prayer. If we, if we do become aware of sin in our lives, if the Holy Spirit, God's word reveals that, what are we to do with sin? Not savor it, right? 
We're to confess it because we've got a God who forgives. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sin, all of them. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're to confess and repent. So God will hear the prayer that deals with sin that way, but to savor sin in our heart, it's to create a ceiling for our prayers, an obstacle in our relationship with God. Now, David hadn't done that, so what happened? Verse 19, but verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Uh, and, and so God had not just heard him, but God had attended to him here. You understand we have a God who's attentive to our prayers, and he's also active in responding to them. That's another reason to praise. One more prompt to praise. One more reason God is worthy of worship. Then verse 20, David's prayer for deliverance has been received, and God's deliverance has been dispensed to David, and David just closes out like he started it. Praise be to God. Blessed be God. He didn't turn away my prayer. He forgave me. No, he didn't turn away his mercy from me. And once again, that's that, that precious Hebrew word, chesed. That means God's faithful covenant love to us in Jesus Christ. It means salvation. It means it translates so many ways. Your loving kindness, your steadfast love, depending on what version you have. But that's what we're talking about here. God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. You didn't turn it away from me. You poured it out on me. There's not a better reason to praise him. There's not a stronger reason that we shouldn't live in praise. So in Psalm 66, we've been commanded to praise. We're going to do that here in a minute. We've been given a multitude of motivations to praise in these 20 verses. So we're going to do that. And we're going to sing. But look, there's no greater form of worship than the unending song of coming to Jesus to be saved and then continuing in him by living a life that's worthy of the gospel. So as the praise team comes up, we're going to lift our voices together. But look, as we leave and in how we live, I pray that we not just lift our voices, we lift our lives tomorrow and the next day and the next day with an unending song that worships our God because he's worthy.